Great, let's just uh, pray again uh, before we look at what God has to say to us today. Uh, Father, thank you so much for your word. Uh, thank you that it teaches us, it challenges us, it rebukes us, Lord. We pray it would do all those things uh, that you want to have it do with us today, Lord. So we thank you for stories like this in your name. Amen. Great, today um, we begin a three-week mini-series within our bigger series, looking at three stories in Luke 15. Um, all told by Jesus to the same group of people. He actually counts them really as one parable. Um, it's worth saying from the off, maybe you're here for the first time um, or you've never heard this before, but we believe that the Bible is true and it is the primary way that God has and continues to speak with us here. So with any passage we're looking at, we need to ask what is God saying to us here? Not what am I saying, uh, not what is the church saying, but what is God saying? So please do keep your Bibles open ask that question, read, read the passage for yourself, discuss it, see what it says. In order to work out what God's saying to us here, we need to understand what the original writer was trying to say. Uh, we need to understand the original setting the story was told in, the Middle East, about 2,000 years ago. Uh, and from there, we can begin to see what God is saying to us today in Bista, 2,000 years later. We need to understand what shepherds did, uh, why women were losing coins, these kind of things. And so when we see Jesus telling this story, he's been preaching and teaching for a number of years and people have been listening to him. They've been coming together and hearing from him. And he's causing a bit of a stir. He was controversial. We may think he was nice and taught about nice things. He was controversial. And he was particularly controversial and causing a stir amongst the religious leaders of the day. We see that here in verse 2. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they were muttering. It's a lovely word, muttering, isn't it? This man, they were muttering, he welcomes sinners and he eats with them. You can hear the disapproval in their voice, can't you? And you see, as Jesus taught and wandered around Israel, he was gathering a new community for himself, a different one to that which the religious leaders of the day expected. The religious leaders were convinced they were the ones God liked. They did all the right things. They wore the right clothes. They ate the right food. God must love us. That's who God would be hanging out with. So what they're really saying is, surely Jesus, if he's claiming to be from God, he can't be, because he's eating with all these people, those people over them. And we see this theme of us and them. And it's mentality we all like to have. Belonging to one group always involves being in one group and definitely not being in another group. We see it in politics today especially, don't we? Um, think in America quite a completely divided country, Democrats, Republicans, hardly any centre ground. Here in Britain, Brexit, it's controversial, it's dividing us, us and them. And we have this mentality here from the religious people. Jesus claimed to be God, and in their eyes, the wrong people were hanging out with him and listening to him. And those who were lumped in together here, look down at me at verse one, tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. It's a bit harsh on tax collectors, maybe. I don't know if anyone in the room here is a tax collector. Um, but in the Middle East at that time, tax collectors were deemed to be the worst of sinners by the religious establishment. Uh, the tax collectors worked for Rome, who ruled Israel at this time, and they were massively associated with the establishment. So people looking on them, they didn't like the tax collectors. So they were lumped together as the sinners, those who were not religious. The us and the them. Jesus welcomed sinners, but it's worth saying he didn't compromise ethically. 
or by their favour. They were drawn to him by his teaching, even when his teaching did question some of what they were doing. And today, as we listen, this may question us, this may challenge us. The word welcome here, this man welcomes sinners and eats to them. It's, it's deep within Middle Eastern culture. It means to welcome into fellowship. And eating with anyone in Middle Eastern culture still is a real mark of deep acceptance. It's been a joy. Some of you have met them briefly, but to have three Syrian families have moved into Bista recently. Muslim families from the Middle East have come here. It's been great. I've really enjoyed getting to know them a little bit. Uh, and if you get the chance to meet them and you get invited to their house, which I'm sure they would do, you'll see how important food is to them. Uh, whenever I go, I have to say to my wife, I could be anywhere between 30 minutes and three hours. It's real potluck because they force feed you. They take offense if you leave too quickly because food is so important to them. It, it shows a real sign of acceptance and thanks and it's really deep in that culture. So with Jesus eating with sinners, welcoming them, accepting them, controversial, isn't it? These people were rejected by the so-called religious leaders, the right people. So in this context, this is a context we need to hear this parable in. Jesus tells a single parable, as I said, three stories, one about a sheep, one about coins, and then one about two sons, which all build and make similar points. And we're going to look at the two sons over the next two weeks. And today we're going to dive in mainly looking at the sheep, but also looking a little bit at the coin. And the unspoken question here, as Jesus' ministry amongst sinners, quote unquote, bothered the Pharisees, is what is God's attitude towards sinners? And we're challenged here to compare it to our attitudes. For some here today, this will be a huge encouragement. We see who God is, but for others, it may be uncomfortably challenging as we reflect how easily we might dismiss some people. So, as I said, this week we're going to tackle the first two, and then the next two weeks we'll look at the others. So keep this context as we dive in. Firstly, we're going to look at the sheep and the coin. So let's think about sheep for a moment. Um, I'm not a shepherd, I'm not an expert in sheep. Um, I don't know if anyone has been, uh, and I'm sorry if you are, because I'm probably about to get this wrong, but this is the picture we often get of what a sheep looks like. It's pretty cute, isn't it? Pretty cute, pretty fluffy. Wrong. That is probably a better image of a sheep. They are, they're pretty, let's call it intellectually challenged animals. Um, a little bit like lemmings, they just follow each other looking for the next blade of grass, next bit of food. If the next blade of grass is over a cliff, they're more likely to fall off the cliff and go, I'll hold back. Sheep are pretty helpless and pretty hopeless. Now, as we read the parable then, this could be pretty offensive. As this is what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees who are listening. Jesus is saying that all people, including them, including us, including me, are like sheep. Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, he says, all like sheep, we all like sheep have gone astray. And Jesus is saying this to the Pharisees, the ones who are saying, I am the in crowd because of what I do. I'm the in crowd because of who I am. But no, you're a sheep. And if a sheep gets lost, it can't find itself. It gets stuck. All sheep who get lost have to be rescued. Dive down to verse 8. Look at the story of the woman and the coin as Hell's read it out. Now, if this was a Pixar movie, love a Pixar movie, we'd probably have the whole movie about this talking coin and his wise-cracking sidekick paperclip buddying together to go out into the real world again. But this isn't Pixar, and so this inanimate coin is stuck. 
and he can do absolutely nothing to rescue himself, itself, or find itself. It's helpless. Think back to the amazing story of the Thai footballers. It's amazing, wasn't it, in the cave? They'd got lost. They could not get their own way back. They needed a rescuer, or in that case, many rescuers. They were helpless. And the Bible teaches that we are the same. And Jesus is saying this to the Pharisees. He may be saying this to you. Stop being proud. Stop thinking that because of what you do, you are special or better than other people. You're lost, just like the sheep, and you need to be found. The Bible teaches we are like sheep and coins. We are utterly lost to sin, and we have to be utterly saved by grace. When God sent Jesus, he didn't send someone who was just a wise teacher to be an example for us to follow. Maybe if you're here for the first time, maybe that's what you think Christianity is about, just doing good, right things. He didn't send us a wise teacher. He sent us a saviour. Now, for our culture, this, this teaching isn't massively attractive. We don't like it. It probably prickles you here now. It prickles me as I think about it. The Bible teaches that, amazingly, we are all created in the image of God. But it says that that image is tainted or shattered. And that as sin entered the world, as we stopped living in perfect relationship with God, that now we're all dead in our sins. Romans 5 There's many places we could go, but it helps explain this as it calls us powerless dead. It says here, and I'll read, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. You can see the rest of the verse there. Now stick with me here on why this is so important that we understand this. Um, Alan Jacobs, he's a theologian. I've no idea who he is, but he's a theologian. He wrote a book all about this, and he talks about those who believe that original sin did not taint human nature that we're all still capable of choosing good or evil without God's help. And he then talks about what this teaching is as he says this. He says, as I said, this doctrine is often called original sin. He says original sin, this need, this helpless need of being rescued, and the consequent absolute dependence of every one of us on the grace of God gives hope to the waverer, the backslider, the slacker, I don't know what these words mean, the puts, the schlemel, We're all in the same boat as Mr. Holier than thou over there, saved only by grace. See what he's saying? See what this says to the Pharisee? See what Jesus is saying to the Mr. Holier than thou Pharisee? It's beautiful because it's not dependent on our effort, because God's love for us is not due to how good we are or what we do. Anyone, everyone, even the so-called sinners, can be part of God's new community. That's who Jesus was hanging out with. This was his response to the Pharisees. So the first thing we learn in this parable is that we're all like sheep in need of rescue or lost coins in need of being found. God calls all people to a word called repent. It means to turn around from our old way of life, for living for ourselves, to repent and to believe. And if you're here today and you're looking in and wouldn't call yourself a Christian, welcome. Great to have you here. We believe that God created all things, including you, And he created us to be in relationship with him, with him as our king and us as his people. The Bible teaches man rejected that deal. We said, no, I want to be the king of my own life. You may recognise that yourself. I want to run it. And the Bible calls us to stop living like that, to turn away from that way of life, to stop living for ourselves with us as king 
and to follow the God who made us with him as king. And the Bible calls this repentance. It just means turn around. It's what we're called to do. And we often think this requires effort on our own part, but I need to be good enough to do it, to be accepted by God, or it requires some immense effort. But here in this parable, we see Jesus defining repentance, and he defines it as accepting being found. It's odd, but that's what he says. What Jesus is saying is there's no us and them. We all need rescuing. We're all like the sheep. We're all like the coin. We all need found. So if you're a follower of Jesus in the room today, don't be proud. Don't be like the Pharisees with an us and them mentality. And sheep can't save themselves. Coins can't be found themselves. They all need finding. And so we'll head to the shepherd and the woman and look at them. The shepherd and the woman. So let me make it really clear here. Jesus is saying he is the good shepherd. He's also saying he's the good woman. And it's really clever from Jesus. He does this throughout. He speaks to a multifaceted audience always. He's speaking to men and to women, to rich and to poor. So he tells stories which they might understand. It's great. So here he's claiming to be the good shepherd. He's claiming to be what had been prophesied, what had been predicted from long ago, the godly divine presence who would come among his people and search for the lost. The original listeners, they would have got that. Those listening in would have understood that. The Pharisees who were parables being told to. They knew their Bibles. They knew what Jesus was implying here. Their minds may have gone to Ezekiel 34. It says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places that where they were scattered. See what Jesus is saying? I'm God. He's saying he's the good shepherd who hunts. He's the good shepherd who finds and saves for lost. Let's look back at the parable, verse 5. What do we notice there when he finds the sheep? After much searching, we see in verse 5, it's wonderful, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Now, this is important. Although the shepherd rejoices when he finds the lost sheep, his joy is not without discomfort puts it on his shoulders. The wandering sheep has to now be taken back to the fold. The shepherd has an exhausting, grueling task ahead. See, when a sheep realises it's lost, I'm told this, never experienced this, it, it will lie down stubbornly, it will refuse to move. And the only way the shepherd can take the animal home is by carrying on his shoulders over the long distance. This joy of restoration doesn't come without sweat. Think about what a shepherd would have to do as he finds his lost sheep. He'd probably need to trek up a mountain, maybe quite hard work, searching for this sheep, listening for its bleat. It's back-breaking work. Jesus joyfully, joyfully takes that burden. There's great sacrifice in the shepherd's work. But this passage beautifully echoes the cross. It gives us echoes of it. We're all lost. Jesus came to this earth to save us, to rescue us. And Jesus came to earth to do just that, and it was a heavy price he paid to do just that. Uh, we see this when we look at the difference, um, I think, between how some artwork of the Good Shepherd has been made. Art from the West, maybe our shepherding experience is a little bit weaker, um, often shows him with a little sheep on his lap. It's very cute. Um, art from the Middle East, slightly different. Shows the shepherd with a massive sheep 
lugged on his shoulders. I got given this carving here, this little wooden carving, his very kind presence. And one which shows that reality as I look at it, you can see the price paid by the good shepherd of finding his sheep. It's seen by the extraordinary size of a sheep. It wasn't easy. Back-breaking work. We were lost in sin, all of us, dead. And Christ came to earth. He went to the cross and he took on himself, not a sheep, but all the sins of, our wor of the world, including yours, including mine. The right punishment for our rebellion against God is death and Jesus took it. He died, he took the punishment we deserve for our rebellion and look down at verse five. The echo here, he did it joyfully. Let's stop and marvel at the good shepherd today. The one who seeks that which is lost, the one who sacrifices for one who is lost, the one who longs for lost sheep to be found. So firstly, as we look at the shepherd, we look at the woman as well who diligently sweeps the house, searches carefully until she finds it. Let's marvel and let's praise God. Let's think of his outrageous love that he would come to seek and save the lost. Us. We're all like sheep in need of rescue or lost coins in need of being found. But God is like the shepherd and the woman passionately and sacrificially searching for the lost. Praise God for that truth. We do also, though, I think, see a challenge here today. These parables are deep. Um, we see a challenge as well to partner with Jesus and go to the lost, to go to the sheep. In verse 4, notice how Jesus says, he's talking to the Pharisees, remember, suppose one of you is a hundred sheep and loses one of them. So as well as making clear to the Pharisees, there's no room for them to boast. They're no different to the sinners. They're like sheep. He also calls them shepherds. They're the religious leaders. And he's blaming them. He's blaming them that they've lost their sheep. It's really interesting in, in Arabic language convention, uh, Aramaic language, sorry, where Jesus would be speaking. The speaker never blames himself. Um, it's quite funny, uh, really. Instead of saying, I missed the train, um, they would say, the train left me, uh, which is genius. Um, because you could say, sorry, I was late today, boss. The bus just left me. Um, made no difference. I was there 20 minutes late. Uh, but Jesus is deliberately using this language. For years, it was translated wrong. But he deliberately uses this language as he speaks to the Pharisees. And he's saying to them, he's saying to those who are complaining about him spending all his time with the sinners. Why is he doing that? He's saying, you have the gall to complain to me when I'm making up for your mistakes. The woman, we see the woman, she's even more responsible for the loss of the coin than a shepherd. She can blame no one but herself. But she accepts responsibility. She goes, my coin which I had lost. And there seems to be a challenge here uh, to the shepherds. In our church context, that's us here as elders, shepherds of the church. But I take it also as a challenge to all of us, wherever we are, as we look and care for each other. Jesus alone saves the lost. Let's get that clear. He alone is the good shepherd. But he doesn't let the Pharisees off the hook. He blames them for losing a sheep. God is sovereign, yes, but he's also, intention says we are responsible and we're called to go and find the lost and bring them back to the flock. And this isn't something done alone. That's why we set up this church seven, eight months ago, why we do life together. Because the parable of a lost sheep does not end with the sheep out in the wilderness. 
enjoying its renewed relationship with the shepherd on his own. That would make no sense. No, the shepherd takes the sheep back to the 99, back to the flock. An exhausting task. And this is where church comes into play, doesn't it? As lost people are found, as we were found, they need to be brought to the church, to the flock, and looked after. So, uh, as we look at the shepherd and we look at the woman, let us hear that challenge. But as I said, let us firstly see Jesus. My first point, my prime point, if you leave with this, let's look and see Jesus and consider him. Let's know him. Let's learn what kind of person he is. The kind of person is we say we trust and love and worship if you do today. Let's marvel at the shepherd's sacrificial love, his back-breaking sacrifice. Let's watch him, let's listen to him, let's stand in awe of him. And that's my first aim. And if I could succeed at that, that we marvel at him, that we'd be so aware of the beauty of this risky, painful, sacrificial, loving way of life that Jesus shows here, that we would then be compelled to pursue that ourselves, then great. So let's marvel at the great sacrifice of a shepherd who loves his sheep. Finally then, as we finish, let's just look at the celebration. We see it, verses 6, verses 10, rejoicing in the community when the sheep or the coin is found. You see, the loss of a sheep is a matter of concern for the whole community. In those days, it's quite likely a shepherd would have been hired um, to look after a number of sheep made up from different people in the village. They would have three or four sheep each. You look after mine, you look after mine, you look after them all together. They all had an investment in, him, in it. The lost person is a matter of concern for the whole of God's family. As we've seen with the challenge to be shepherds, the lost person in Bista is a matter of concern for the whole of God's family. And that's everyone, not just the people we know, but those we don't yet know. If we read verse 7, Jesus says, he's saying to the Pharisees, I tell you that in the same way, he's talking about the rejoicing, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't, do not need to repent. I think Jesus' humour is often underplayed. He's being wonderfully sarcastic here. The righteous person who doesn't need to repent does not exist. As we've seen, we're all in need of being found. He's making a point to the Pharisees, and he's making a point also to us. So we see that the celebration, if we look at the celebration, it shows us the passion of God for finding the lost. He loved us so much that he sacrificially went out to find us like the sheep, to restore our relationship with God. And then when that happens, there is deep celebration. What a God this is. Not a dictator, not a distant God, but a loving Father who pursues us even when we've rejected him. And we're going to see that a bit more next week. Look at how the whole community celebrates. And listen to this church. We're a family, we're a community of sheep following the Good Shepherd. We can't be proud. It can't be an us and a them. The joy of the gospel can't make us feel superior in any way. And if you follow Jesus today, you've been found by our Saviour. So how can you boast? How can we boast in anything we've done ourselves? We've been found by a Saviour. So let's hear the challenge to the Pharisee as well. To not be like them with an us and a them mentality. All we can boast in is Jesus and the amazing work he's done for us.
We're all like sheep in need of rescue, or lost coins in need of being found. God is like the shepherd and the woman, passionately and sacrificially searching for the lost. And the celebration shows us the passion of God for finding the lost. So, at the start, we asked, what is God's attitude towards so-called sinners, towards all of us? That's what the parable is asking us to consider. Firstly, we're immensely valuable to him. Coin, the coin was worth about a day's wages. Look at how she searches for it. Sheep were valuable as well for the whole community. We have immense value to God. See that in the celebration, the rejoicing as a sheep is found. But we also see what's God's attitude. He's searching passionately for those who are lost. And the challenge here, I think, is as we marvel, as we praise God here, will we join in his passionate heart to seek and to save the lost? God calls us to partner with him. The challenge here for me, the challenge here maybe for you listening in, is to stop being so self-centred. Even today, it's really easy to think we've got a, a corner on God. It's easier to stand back take stock of my apparent good deeds and believe that God's delight must be directed at me. Jesus dashes that theory to pieces here. He's battling the prideful, the pompous ideology of the religious leaders. He turned the tables by proclaiming God's interest in the single sinner, lost and forgotten by the self-indulgent Pharisees. So in our lives today, I think we must be aware of thinking that God's world revolves around us, what we do for him. Instead, remember who he is. He's involved in the lives of those around us, seeking to save that which is lost. I think it's really imperative as we look at who the good shepherd is, for us to know that we serve a God who is constantly on mission to save that one lost sheep. So a challenge, will we be praying for ourselves? Will we be praying for each other? For a passionate heart longing to be used by God to do just this. And genuinely in my life has been no greater joy than seeing friends come to know and love Jesus. It's what I pray, what I long for more. And in that vein, next Sunday, we're going to look at the parable of the prodigal. It's amazing. It's a great way to explain the good news to others. Why don't you think who you could invite from Bicester? God loves the lost. He wants them home. Let's partner with him in that as we look at the amazing God we worship who passionately seeks and saves the lost. Let me pray. And then we're going to sing. Father, thank you for seeking and saving us when we were helplessly lost. Thank you for your passionate heart for the lost, your desire for reconciliation and how you sacrificially made that possible. Lord, we praise you for that. Help us to understand more of your immense love, more of your immense sacrifice for us. And Lord, help us to have a heart like yours, which now in response to the immense love you have showed us, goes out and looks to do the same for others. In your name. Amen.